All right, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Sober since September 18th, 1996. Yeah. I, uh, I want to thank Aaron for asking me to speak. I want to thank uh, John for the lengthy introduction. <laughs> and, uh, wow, so I, I'm not a big fan of speaking. I've, uh, I've, never, uh, I've never considered it my, uh, my strong point. And I'm usually funny for about the first 30 seconds, and then it's all downhill from there. So, if uh, if you uh, if you I don't know it's sad. If you get a chance to take a nap tonight, um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's over. So, we'll start with um, I am an alcoholic. Um, I've been sober for eight years. I, uh, I'm an active member of the Northern Plains Group, or at least I'd like to believe that. My sponsor tells me that sometimes I should be doing more. Uh, I have. Uh, I have found many fast friendships here in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have many friendships here in the Northern Plains Group. People that I have, uh, people that I have come to know and love like brothers. And uh, it always makes me uh, somewhat nervous and a little apprehensive when I get a chance to speak in front of people I know, uh, much, much greater than when I just speak in front of any other person. But uh, I think it's because, you know, I think deep down inside they know who I really am, you know, and it's like you can't, you just can't pass BS from up here. So I, uh, I'm going to start by telling you, uh, telling you a little bit about my childhood, which uh, doesn't have a whole lot to do with my alcoholism. Uh, as some of some people come up here and share that they were beaten and that they uh, grew up in a trailer park and their parents were terrible alcoholics, and and that unfortunately, sometimes unfortunately, is not my case. Um, my parents were good, uh, good, hardworking farm folk. Um, that's it. Uh, my dad is uh, my dad's full-blooded Irish. Uh, my mom is uh, she's uh, Heinz 57, and uh, they took good they took good care of me. They they gave me uh, they gave me clothes on my back, fed me, bought me a Commodore Vic 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard the nerds in the room respond. So uh, they took they took good care of me. Um, me and my little brother, we grew up on a farm. We spent our first my first nine years there, and. Uh, you know, when you're growing up on a farm, you don't have a lot of interaction with the, with the town kids, with the exception to school and maybe church. So I didn't uh, I didn't really get a lot of interaction with other kids. My brother was kind of like my best friend, and um, you know, I was a mama's boy. Uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't a tough kid growing up. Not I, I was never tough until after the ninth after uh, age nine. Uh, well, I wasn't even tough then. Let's be truthful. So, um, however, I I just didn't I didn't have an opportunity to really interact with other kids, and I never had any. Uh, I never had any uh, large classrooms. My school was a uh, was a conglomerate of schools or of uh, districts put together in one school. So my classroom, uh, I think the greatest classroom I had or the largest classroom I had was in third grade, and there was like 15 kids, and that was big. I mean, my first grade class was, geez, it was like a handful of us off in a corner of the building. So I didn't I didn't really learn how to interact with other kids, and I don't know that that's why I'm alcoholic. I don't really I can't really put any of that to, to the acid test, but I. I know that from my earliest recollection, I felt uncomfortable around other people. I was always accustomed to sizing them up and gauging that against how I felt on the inside. I would look at other people and I'd look at Bobby. Bobby was this kid in, uh, in Ackley, Iowa, Metropolis. Yeah, 1,000 people. Um, Bobby was in like Taekwondo or some other martial art. I doubt it was really Taekwondo. He probably lied about it, but I thought, man, that, that Bobby's tough, you know, and he looks tough. And, and uh, and I I was intimidated by Bobby. Um, I never saw Bobby fight. I don't think he could fight. 
Um, now that I think about it now, there was nothing to make me believe he could fight. But I was intimidated by Bobby because he, because he was in Taekwondo. And, <laughs> and there was this girl. Uh, there was this girl. Her name was Michelle, not my wife. Um, but her name was Michelle. And uh, I thought she was just the most adorable thing, but I couldn't talk to her. I, I just... I couldn't speak to other people. I couldn't communicate what was on my mind. And I was absolutely terrified that if I, I let loose and I, I talked about what was in my head, um, people wouldn't like me. And I don't think that that's, you know, the, the level of intellect I had back then wasn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't consciously think, God, I wish I could talk openly with these other people. I just know that I felt really wormy and I felt really uncomfortable and I was very shy and my mouth got really, you know, you just get really swelled up when you can't talk to people and you look down at your shoes and your hands sweat and you, you know, you feel that icky feeling in your stomach. And um, I I never found a solution for that. I, I'd never found a solution that I, at age 11, um, we had moved back to Minot. And there was a, it was a, I mean, it was a night and day difference between Ackley, Iowa, and Minot, North Dakota. Now, Minot's not a big city. However, the, the town's considerably larger than 1,000 people. And the kids there do things different than kids do in Ackley, Iowa. I mean, we had pinball and we had a pole position and you get to Minot and, um, and we're start talking about ColecoVision and uh, and uh, all these other cool game systems and things that I I really didn't have any experience with and I didn't know what they were talking about and I it just it just aided to the fact of me feeling um, apart from and separate from and different than and it was a it was a very awkward time in uh, in fourth grade I. They did some, they thought I was mental or something. I don't know what, what the deal was. They thought I had some problems, so they went and did some tests on me, and they, they come back and they're like, oh, well, his problem isn't that he's mental. His problem is that he's very intelligent. And they fed me this line of crap long enough for me to start believing that, man, I have got it. I am on top of the mountain. And uh, so you got this kid that's already got this terrible low self-worth problem, and then you inject this ego in, in top, uh, on top of him, and, God, I was so screwed up. You know, fifth grade, uh, fifth grade, this kid named Adrian Wilson, he, uh, he said something to my little brother in the playground, and I was angry, I guess, and I went back into the classroom, and, uh, and Adrian was sitting in the back of the room, and I remember I, uh, <laughs> I was going to beat him up or something. The kid would have whooped me, but I, uh, I was going to beat him up, so I walked to the back of the classroom, went right by him, grabbed the baseball bat out of there, walked back past Adrian, and went after the teacher. No sense. I don't even know. I have a real problem with focusing my anger, apparently, too. So, um, so that you know, they didn't they didn't expel people at that time in fourth grade, but they did make me do some uh, some counseling and stuff in order for me to return back to school. And things got worse by the time I was in sixth grade. Uh, me and my brother were well. Me and my brother have always fought. We're just you know we're not the kind of brothers that are chummy. We're the kind of brothers that you know punch each other in the teeth and. Um, me and my brother got in a lot of fights, and this one time I, I got in a fight, and when I, get, when I get in a fight, sanity leaves me. I just, I am like, I see red, the light switch goes off, and things get broken and people get hurt. You know, it's just, it's insane. I, I look like a psycho. So I went psycho on my brother, and I grabbed these butcher knives, and I'm swinging them around at him, and, uh, and he, had, he had already hidden in my mom's bedroom for a while, and I was waiting for him, and he called my aunt. She comes over, comes in the door just after I chuck this knife at him, pins me to the ground, you know, I'm like not even conscious. I'm spitting at her and um, I got it. I'm a freaking nightmare. And so they, they sent me to uh, they sent me to the Jamestown Psychiatric Hospital. And this this was my first trip to the psych ward. And I was 11 years old. Um, I went through treatment and I learned that uh, if you tell them what they want to hear, they'll let you out. 
So that's what I did. Uh, I played the part of the same kid and the inquisitive and the intelligent and the kind and the, you know, I just played the part. You know, I'm a, I, apparently I'm a really good actor. And they let me out of the psych ward. And when I returned back to school, um, you know, in sixth grade, kids, the rumor mill goes and, you know, everyone's talking. And uh, I came back and they're like, oh, man, so are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm crazy. And they, I fed into it. And what ended up happening is they ended up giving me the nickname Mike the Psych. Now, yeah, it's, it's not even really cool. I mean, honestly, Mike the Psych, how lame is that? That's sixth grade intellect. I mean, I could have come up with a lot better nowadays. Someone went to the psych ward. But Mike the Psych stuck with me. I mean, I'm still getting called Mike the Psych in eighth grade at a different school. Um, so I, you know, I went to my first psych ward in eighth grade. I got kicked out of, or in, in sixth grade. Seventh grade, I kicked out of school. Um, I had to, I had to go home by the end of the year. They let me come back in eighth grade. Eighth grade was even worse. I was suspended constantly. I didn't, I mean, I just looked for fights. I looked for reasons to be mad at other people. I looked for reasons to, to let out this aggression. And, uh, I was so, I hated myself. My God, did I hate myself. I would look at my, mind you, because I'm, I'm so buff right now, you probably wouldn't guess, but I was a really fat, chubby kid. And uh, so I'm this, I'm this redheaded, overweight, um, I got braces, and uh, I, man, I looked homely. So I'm this really homely kid, and I was just begging for people to pick on me. I got a third tire, maybe a fourth or fifth. And uh, <laughs> so people picked on me all the time, and I would get into fights all the time. And anyway, I got, I got kicked out of eighth grade again. And that's when I started my, uh, my round of psychiatric hospitals. Um, I went to three more psych, psych wards, um, uh, and then I ended up in Dakota Boys Ranch. Long story short, I spent some time away from home, um, a good year and a half in the Boys Ranch, and another half a year to a year with, throughout the different psych wards and, and uh, uh, waiting facilities. And um, I tell you what, I was in Dakota Boys Ranch, and there may be some kids here that are in the, that are in the DBR. I was in the Dakota Boys Ranch up near Minot, and when I went to the Boys Ranch, I... Uh, God, I actually liked it, you know, because for the, for the first time, I was around kids that were just as screwed up as me, and I fit in, you know. I, it was cool if you got in a fight, you know. It was, uh, it was cool if you had war stories. I found other people that were, that were very similar to myself, um, all of us lacking a solution, but very similar to myself. And so I'm, I'm in Dakota Boys Ranch now. Mind you, I'm 16 years old, and at age 16, this is 1991, uh, I had the opportunity uh, to go to Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. And the meeting I went to, the first meeting that I went to was at the clubhouse of mine. It was a, it's the 515. And uh, I went in this clubhouse, and my aunt's an alcoholic. She'd been sober. I don't know. She got drunk once or something, and, and um, it got really bad. And then she just – I guess the big book talks a lot about women just going downhill quickly. And within a year, she was just on the bottom. And uh, she got sober, and she was at the clubhouse there. And uh, it was my first experience in the clubhouse. And I remember that there was a lot of old people. You know, I'm 16, so everyone looked old. I would have looked old. But uh, there's a lot of old people there, and they're smoking cigarettes, and everyone's talking about the things they lost and the troubles that they had. And um, the clubhouse, I think at the time, didn't seem very healthy, or what, from what I remember now, it didn't seem very healthy there. And uh, I guess what I got out of Alcoholics Anonymous at the time was that if uh, if you go to AA meetings, you can smoke. So uh, so I went to AA meetings to smoke. I didn't care what anyone had to say. I would I would you know I had I'd only had a few drinking uh, opportunities to drink at this time. So my drink my drunkalog was like the same three stories over and over again. You know I'm sure these people were just like kid shut the hell up. But I had this weak drunkalog and uh, I ended up getting uh, discharged or removed from uh, uh, from the uh, Dakota Boys Ranch and. My life turned upside down. When I got out of Dakota Boys Ranch, because I had some structure in my life, I had, other, I had the opportunity to take my grades from failing, which they failed all the way from like fifth grade on. Um, from, in fact, I think the only reason they got me through school is because they could not handle me. So they just escalated me to the next grade with hopes that I would eventually be out of the system. 
I uh, I had some structure and my life was going rather well. Um, I had I had B's and A's and it, from going to I had half days at the uh, the Dakota Boys Ranch School and half days in town. Uh, I had B's and A's. Um, I was talking appropriately with other people. I was behaving well around my mom and dad. I wasn't punching holes in the wall. I was uh, I was actually acting like a pretty good kid. Not the perfect model citizen, but you know as as well as you can be for someone as nuts as I was. And uh, everything fell apart. God, I, I met up with a couple of kids that were just as screwed up as I was in Dakota Boys Ranch, and um, I started drinking. Um, I had my f- uh, first opportunity to drink. i tell you this funny story. This girl, uh, her name's Charity. I, I can't remember the last name because I didn't really care anything about her name, but um, she, she, she was really sexy, and uh, I was really lonely. And um, I lusted after her as, as effectively as I could, and uh, there was that whole unrequited love poem thing and the whole, you know, the whole feeling sorry for my, it's a pretty sad story, feeling sorry for myself. And, but she felt sorry for me too, which was really cool because I dig it when chicks feel sorry for me. So this is, this is how lame I am. So I, uh, I asked her what she's doing and she says, well, I'm going out with my boyfriend. I'm like, cool. Can I come along? Her boyfriend's like this, you know, 22, 23 year old guy that this, what we call mine at wing nuts. He worked on the air force base and, uh, you know, she's like 17 by this time, 18. And so I get a chance to go out, and I walk into the liquor store with them, and I picked up Smirnoff vodka. Smirnoff was the first hard drunk I think I ever had. And I bought it because it, it looked cool, you know, glass bottle, big bottle, cool stickers and stuff all over it. It's like, yeah. So uh, so we went to this uh, crappy little hotel, Stardust or something like that, on the edge of town, and I managed to get myself liquored up in about three minutes. Um, I didn't understand you had to pace yourself. You know, if you lay back on the bed and you drink out of the bottle like this, it doesn't, and you have no tolerance, it does not take long before you can't even move your mouth, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm blasted drunk, I'm laughing. All these, other, uh, all these other people from the Air Force Base showed up, and I, when I started drinking and before the effect quickly overtook me, I felt very uncomfortable. And by the time it was done, I thought these guys were my best friends. I had new friends, you know? Um, I remember that I couldn't walk, and... Uh, <laughs> This girl that I liked had to hold me up while I uh, peed, and uh, it, God, it was terrible. There's a lot of other embarrassing things from that night, but it got worse. It, needless to say, I, uh, I woke up with a hangover for my first time. I puked all over my floor, and I remember, I, I remember waking up, and uh, this is probably the last of my drunk story, but uh, I, I remember waking up and looking on the floor, and there was a, there was a heart on the floor. Um, well, when you're, when you're coming out of a hangover, things are really fuzzy and your head's not working very right. And I thought, oh, my God, what did I eat last night? <laughs> Turns out, I guess I'd eaten some of those red carnival hot dogs, you know, those bright red ones. So it looked like I had chicken hearts on my floor. Um, but I remember I woke up from that hangover and I went into my brother's room. He, we still we live in the same house. And I went over to my brother's room and I'm like, Joe, um, man, I was liquored up last night. He's like, I know. And I'm like, you do? Well, you were in here screaming and blabbing, and I was like, oh, crap, really? Yeah, mom knows. <laughs> really? Oh, dude, I mean, just, you know, you sh- sheet whites like I'm busted, you know? So I-, I got ground. I don't know how long it was. I'd love to tell you it was a month, but it probably wasn't. Um, the liquor I hit outside in the stairwell, apparently she heard me pull up, and we were making a bunch of noise, and she basically watched me try to stash this bottle drunk, and um, <laughs> I was a dork. So uh, I got better, I'll tell you that. Anyway, um... That was my first fun night drinking, and I had several more, many more. And then at some point by uh, the age 20, uh, I was, uh, by the age 20, I had, uh, 
I'd found myself, um, I was homeless. I was couch surfing, as we call it now in AA, only it wasn't, uh, it wasn't because people had compassion for me. It was because I had drugs. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you score some drugs, um, Heitland can crash on our couch just as long as he doesn't pee in the corner when he wakes up. So I was couch surfing. I had a, I had a motorcycle. Um, I had one of the, uh, I had a rare edition. It was a Kawayama Harley. <laughs> Kawasaki frame, Yamaha front end, and a Harley-Davidson tank and tail. Simmons, you remember that bike? Wasn't that sweet? Come on. So uh, I had my Kawayama Harley and a backpack full of clothes and uh, some changes of underwear, lots of changes of underwear, so you guys know. Um, and uh, and I, had, I, was, I was morally, um, you know, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. When I, when I showed up in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I'm going I'm to get sober here. When I showed up in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I had sold everything I could possibly sell. I had uh, cheated everyone I could possibly cheat. I had lied. I, I was a thief. Um, I had sold and given up on every moral that I'd ever been taught. I was the most indecent human being that I can imagine. I've met guys sicker than me, but there's not a lot. Kelvin remembers when I came in. He thinks I was pretty sick. He was sicker, but I, uh, I, was, I was a waste of space on earth. I really was. Um, I had nothing to offer anyone, and I couldn't understand. When I, I went to treatment, I, you know, these guys have these great stories. Of, you know, she's on a, she, this jag on an airplane, awesome. Um, this guy's going to jail for 55 years, sweet. I woke up in a closet. That's it. I woke up in a closet and I was all messed up, and uh, I didn't. You know, it wasn't. I don't think I didn't. You know, I don't think urinated myself or anything. But I was messed up, and uh, I wandered myself down the road, and I, I wasn't sure if I was in Minot or Bismarck or where I was at. And I found this uh, facility that I recognized, and I, so I knew it was in Minot. And I called my little brother, and I said, "Joe, come pick me up." When he did, he said, "Well, dude, that's treatment." So in my delusional state, um, it appeared to me that you know. Clouds broke and heaven shined down and told me that this was the way to go. It's time to go to treatment. Um, now, <laughs> mind you, my intent was not to stop drinking or stop smoking dope. It was, uh, it was really the, you know, it was the treatment vacation because those are sweet because psych ward vacations are just as sweet too. You don't have to do schoolwork, none of that. So I, I uh, called my mom and um, I went down to her house and uh, she said, well, if you go to treatment and you stay sober, I'll pay for it. Sounds sweet to me. I didn't consider the, ulterior, uh, the, the, the opposite of that, that I'd have to pay for it. Um, but I went to treatment, and I woke up two weeks later in the middle of a meeting. Um, I came in, and I had a high blood alcohol level um, 12 hours after I quit drinking. I mean, I drank every day, so my tolerance had gotten so bad that it actually reversed on me. And after two drinks, I'd start slurring, and I'd black out immediately. And uh, I woke up two weeks later in one of those circle groups in the counseling center or in the treatment facility. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm in treatment. <laughs> I kind of knew I was here, but I'm really here. And uh, I had a weekend pass that weekend because it was the first full weekend I was off of the medication. They can't apparently they don't send you out when you're all high on Valium. So the first the first weekend I was out, I went right over to my friend Sean's house and uh, I got stoned. And I came back and the amount of remorse I felt for what I did and the guilt that I felt. And the, the shame I felt, I thought was enough to keep me sober. And I went back and I pleaded my case and I told them, hey, look, I, I used. And, um, and they said, well, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, you know, there's these guys, um, there's these guys that came and talked to us. Let me tell you, that weekend before, um, some guys came, or that weekend, some guys came to treatment that Saturday night. 
And uh, they showed up, and this guy named Gerard T. came in. And uh, Gerard T., if anyone knows Gerard, Gerard's a... He's not, he's not like Mr. Suave. He's not Mr. GQ. He's got these rosy cheeks, really rosy cheeks. Like, um, and he's, you know, a bigger guy, and he's just goofy. He looked really goofy to me. And I thought, well, this is, a, this is a nerd if I've ever seen one. You know, I'm really tough at the time. I've got the razor blade sideburns, and I've got the big nasty biker goatee, and I wore a headband, and I swore all the time because that's cool. And uh, Gerard was the last kind of person that I would want to talk to, much less relate to, much less spend any time with. But Gerard got up to the podium, and for the first time in my life, I identified absolutely with what this guy had to say about his feelings. Now, I didn't have the circumstances of Gerard. My dad wasn't, didn't do this, and, and I wasn't 19 when I first came to AA and blah, blah, blah. I didn't relate to those things, but Gerard talked about the feelings, his insecurities, his inadequacies, his inability to communicate with other people, to do the right thing despite the terrible consequences, and he talked about his drinking. Um, Gerard was a, seasoned enough in Alcoholics Anonymous to know what the disease was about. And he talked about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I related. And I think for the first time, someone in Alcoholics Anonymous gave me hope. And I really believe that, my God, well, this guy's life completely changed. So, you know, he's got, he got my phone, uh, he got my, uh, or I got his phone number, and I started going to some meetings with him and hanging out with him. And the guy drugged me off to coffee, and I'm sure I was just an embarrassment. Gerard looked like the... Uh, typical college preppy guy, and um, I looked like a, you know, road-worn biker, and um, I swore all the time. It was just an embarrassment, I'm sure, but the guy spent more time with me than I see more guys in our group spending time with newcomers. I mean, I was like his sidekick, you know? It's like Tonto to his uh, Lone Ranger. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I was with him all the time, and uh, and he got me introduced in Alcoholics Anonymous. He taught me what Alcoholics Anonymous was about, and uh, he started going through the book with me, and he started, he, started, he started teaching me the ropes, what I would call them, the things that we call our basics, you know, shaking hands with new people, um, shaking hands with everyone, standing in, standing in line, thanking the speaker, suiting up, showing up, coming to regular meetings. Um, and it's a hell of a deal. I, uh, I was presented at that point with evidence. I knew that Alcoholics, work, Alcoholics Anonymous worked for some people. Um, but I think I still had some doubts that it would really work for me, that it would solve these deep emotional, psychological problems that I had. And uh, on September, September 17th, I had uh, I had been working at this beekeeping place, and um, there's another story in there I'm not even going to go into. But I was working at this beekeeper's place against my sponsor's advice, and uh, I had managed to get stoned for the last two weeks. I couldn't say no. These guys would pull out this one hitter, and we go in the back, and um, I get stoned, and I just couldn't say no. I was, I knew, I, I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but I just, I had no, I didn't have anything, um, to stop me from doing it. And, uh, I was so, I was, every time I did it, I got worse and worse. I felt more and more remorseful. I was just about out the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we were sitting in the cab of this vehicle on, a, on, on September 18th, it would have been. Um, and I had, uh, these guys pulled out the one hitter and they pulled out the grass and I thought, here it goes again, you know, I'm going to do this because I can't say no. And I'm going to feel terrible. I'm not going to enjoy this feeling. I'm going to feel absolutely terrible. And I'm just, I was getting really suicidal at this point, you know. And I remember thinking, well, I, I put my hands together and, you know, I'm working with construction quality people. These guys, uh, they swore all the time and they drank and, and smoked constantly. They were rough people. And I remember putting my hands together and just, you know, I looked out the window. And I remember if, I remember I prayed earnestly to God to remove the obsession. And, um, and he did. It was the most amazing thing. Now, I don't, I'm not telling you that I felt this amazing light glow from within me or anything like that or this amazing power wash over me. 
but the obsession to use was gone, and I knew I didn't have to. I didn't have to take a hit, and I just I said no, and uh, that started my new sobriety date. My sobriety date is September 18th. Um, I haven't found it necessary to drink or take any mind-altering substances since then. Um, so I'm I'm at this turning point where it's like, well, God, I'm going to have to start doing something in my program. I've been I've been I've been given the facts. I have evidence. I've seen enough people in Alcoholics Anonymous whose lives have changed. But there's just something that's not working for me. Now, mind you, I'm 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 meeting with newcomers. I'm, I've got these. I've got three guys I sponsor in mind. Up, that's a lot of people because the meetings just are small. I mean, this is there's like 600 people in here. Um, but I uh, <laughs> I uh, I was reasonably active for a year of sobriety or two years of sobriety, and I knew there was something missing. And I, I you know, um, I w- had always been led to believe that there was uh, there was the side of AA, and then there was the the spiritual side. And, um, you know, what I came to understand is that there is no spiritual side and no action side or other side. This is a spiritual program. That's where the core of this program is built. It's built upon me struggling through life, working through difficulties, character defects, resentments, fears. Um, to eliminate those things great enough for me to have and have and establish and maintain a relationship with the God of my understanding. Um, you know, I was one of those guys that got in, sobered up, and um, um, turned into an instant saved Christian. Um, I wanted to save the world. I thought that that was my solution. I didn't leave Alcoholics Anonymous over, but I very easily could have had I not had I not had a strong sponsor that told me, "Look, Mike, you know, church is a great thing, and your relationship with God and Christ is that's great. That's fine. I'm happy for you, but." I know plenty of priests that die drunk. I know plenty of priests that can't keep a day of sobriety. Um, and if you want to stay sober, you will do Alcoholics Anonymous. And at the time, my sponsor's voice was louder than my head, so I said, absolutely. So I managed to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I managed to uh, work through tons of resentments. Calvin, my great nemesis, um, he's been on every resentment list I've ever had and in half the conversations I've ever had with a sponsor. And I know I'm not the only one here. So... <laughs> So don't you judge me. Um, but uh, I've worked through them, you know. I work through them. And then they crop back up, you know. I have fears that I've worked through. And then the fears come back. And that's just part of life in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not immune from these things. I didn't walk in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And God didn't come in and reach down and grab every character defect out of me and say, there you go, Mike. You're going to live this amazingly pure life. That's just not the way it worked for me. If it worked for you that way, Awesome, and I want to talk to you after the meeting because it sounds pretty interesting, but it's not my story. My story is I still battle with the same character defects over and over. Sometimes they're removed. Sometimes I feel as though they're removed, um, and then they come right back up, you know. It, I'm an alcoholic. Um, my problem is alcoholism. My solution is Alcoholics Anonymous. The, in, the feeling that I got from alcohol has now been replaced by the relationship with God and the fellowship that I feel in rooms like this with people like you. And I know I don't have to drink anymore. Does that mean that I'm immune from my next drink? Absolutely not. Um, I've heard it said that I'm no, that you know, eight years sober, I'm no, no further away than my next drink than when I was a day sober. And that's that's very true. I can start taking actions tonight when I leave this meeting that will lead me down the road. And I bet a week later, because I'm sick, my head spins quick. And if I don't watch myself, I could easily find myself in a position where I, I have no power over the next drink. The book tells us that. So. Where am I at today? Um, well, I've got a pretty damn good life. I really do. I've got a lot of friends here, and there's a lot of people I love, and I try to be as active as I can. I'm not the most active guy in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not the most perfect role model. I don't have every solution. However, I have a sponsor. I am sponsored, and I sponsor other people. I've got a God that I pray to in the morning and a God that I pray to at the night, and sometimes 15 times through the day, depending on how me and Calvert are doing. Um, 
But but my life is pretty damn good. I got uh, I got married in Alcoholics Anonymous. The people in my wedding were in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I've gotten jobs in Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous taught me how to be responsible uh, responsible at a job because I wasn't responsible at jobs before I came here. I couldn't I couldn't maintain a job. But uh, I learned how to suit up, show up, shake hands, act appropriately, be of service, and these things are propelled by business career. Um, my uh, my family life is going pretty good. I've got a wife who's an Al-Anon, and I, uh, you know, when I, I used to sit in meetings and I go to conferences, and I would just I would judge the living hell out of Al-Anon. I thought they were the most whiny, cry people I'd ever met. I had absolutely no concept of what Al-Anon was about, and I was ignorant to it really. And it's not like I invested any time to try to understand Al-Anon. However, my wife got involved with Al-Anon a couple of years ago, and uh, Al-Anon has absolutely changed and transformed our marriage. It has given. Uh, God, it's it's a breath of fresh air, and I will never talk bad about Al-Anon again. As much as I may not understand what they, I don't really understand much about what they talk about, um, but it it sure as hell works for her. So I'm really grateful for for Al-Anon, and um, and I defend it every chance I get. Um, I've got two beautiful children that love me and that want to spend time with me and give me some of the greatest hugs and cry if I don't get a chance to hug them before I leave at night. And um, Man, I just absolutely love my life today. And I'm not saying it's perfect because it is far from that. I, like I said, I, you know, in fact, me and Kelvin have had, uh, I know I keep coming back to it, but it's been a huge issue in my life. Um, it's probably, it's true. Kelvin won't deny it either. Um, but I've had, I've had, uh, I've had to do a lot of work. And I think the relationship I've had with people like Kelvin and other people that I've had difficult times with have forced me to do things in Alcoholics Anonymous that I did not want to do. I've had to humble myself in front of other people that I never would have wanted to humble myself in front of. Um, I've had to take actions in Alcoholics Anonymous that I am just too lazy to want to take. I've had to do things in Alcoholics Anonymous because um, it's kind of like I think God removes enough things in me that I'm able to maintain my sobriety and stay reasonably reasonably happy. But he has not removed everything. And those things that he does not remove are those exact same things that put me on my knees in the morning and allow me to wish to surrender. And you know what? There's some days I don't want to surrender. There are some days I think I just I'm, myself is too great for me to surrender today. And those are the days that I have to pray for God to take from me um, everything that I can't give him. And it's just that simple. And I, uh, I hope that I continue to grow in AA. I hope I, I hope I continue to stay sober. I know I'm going to try to do the right thing as often as I can, and I know I'm going to keep looking for the guy that's uh, that's still suffering. And uh, I know there's some new people out here in the, in, the, in the audience tonight, and I've seen some new faces, and I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to tell you that if, you, uh, if you're not quite sure if this thing's going to work or if it's even worth it, or if, you just, if you're like me, you probably think it's just a bunch of hokey crap and nonsense, because I did. I really did. I didn't buy into what these guys were in their shirts and ties and their pretty looks. I thought, these guys have no, no concept of what suffering is, because I'm suffering. And that's how I felt. Um, but I stuck around long enough for, some, for people to share with me the truth about their alcoholism, the truth about the solution in Alcoholics Anonymous, their relationship with God, and they gave me step two. They handed it right over to me. They said, hey, look, here's your hope you're looking for. And uh, as a result of that, I have not found it necessary to drink since September 18th, and I hope that that remains my sobriety date for the rest of my life. I love all of you in Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're new, I'd love to get to know you. And if, uh, for those of you that have played such an integral part in my sobriety, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Um, I love each and every one of you, and with that, I'm going to pass. Yeah.